another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, today on the Unicorns, we're featuring a tech company called Pendula. Pendula is the world's first proactive customer retention platform. What does that mean? Well, Pendula's platform enables businesses to make data-driven decisions and interact with consumers through the lens of customer service. It works with businesses from across telecommunications, health, energy, and more. Alex Colvin is the founder and CEO of Pendula. Alex, welcome to the program. Justin, good to be here, mate. Okay, Pendula began officially in 2016. When did you first come up with the idea? Look, it was re- relatively uh, relatively soon before uh, before we, we we officially launched the the business. Um, you know, 2016 re- really was uh, an ideation and and product development year, called 18 months even. Um, so the actual physical application uh, and product wasn't really launched in market in 2017. Uh-huh. Uh, look, the way we came up with the idea, it was, it was a pretty simple concept back then, very different to what we do today. Uh, we basically saw all these ecosystems uh, and the effective monopolies that they created um, and the protection that they also gave you uh, with the largest software companies in market. So you had you know, the sales forces of the world, the Microsofts of the world, the SAPs of the world, all of them had these app marketplaces. Uh, we deployed a pretty simple strategy, and that was if something existed in one of those application ecosystems and didn't exist in another one, well, hey, wouldn't why wouldn't it work? Uh, the analysis that we then ran uh, popped up at the top of the list, uh, customer communication management, uh, which really is a bit of a legacy uh, type uh, category uh, within the software world. Um, we decided to initially launch it within Salesforce. Uh, pretty interesting time for us and for Salesforce in that they were verticalizing a lot of the operational uh, and customer-focused communications uh, were starting to appear within that application instead of it just being used as a CRM or, or service tool. Uh, they gave us that early validation that enabled us to get our first few customers. Then we went on this journey through our feedback loops and the customers that we were interacting with, did a, every use case you could imagine under the under the sun, interacting with customers, c- came to the conclusion um, of two things. One is the business case that we were interacting with that delivered the most value was related to customer retention, um, specifically trying to draw incremental revenues out of your customer base via upselling and cross-selling and trying to make sure they stick around. Uh, yes. The other thing we learned also was uh, if you deployed a really powerful workflow engine that factored in all the external data that you could find, both internal and external, and coupled that with conversational-like interactions, um, you could really outperform basically all the the other retention-based interaction strategies that were that were being used in businesses historically, uh, and bring something to market that was pretty valuable. So, how did you go about setting everything up? Look through a, through a lot of hard work and uh, and because that's not easy. <laughs> I, I mean, look honestly, a business like ours, it, it is one that you know you're always going to have problems, right? You're always going to have the next challenge. You're always going to have the thing that you need to do to get to that next stage. Uh, when you're starting in the early days, you don't have as much resource, but also the 
milestones you're trying to achieve are, are a little bit more uh, achievable from an individual or, or a smaller group of people um, attacking that, that, that problem. Ultimately, what we did was we found a few customers, um, some really early stage ones that uh, were looking to solve the same challenges that we were trying to build a product for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built the product. What was that? What was that like when you when you got your first customer on board? That must have been a thrill. Oh, look! It was it, ultimately the way we first started the business was was through network, right? We, we'd known these businesses through, through yes. previous uh, relationships. So, and and you know, honestly, the the problem space that we had when we validated it with with uh, within our own research cycle. We were speaking to these businesses, so they they were already aware of what we were trying to do. They were getting pretty excited about some of the uh, the solutions that we were conceptualizing. Uh, and frankly, the Australian environment over the last really decade has been geared to support small businesses to, to allow them to innovate and to you know give the uh, the smaller fish in, in an otherwise ocean uh, opportunities to to prove themselves. Uh, so that that journey was was one of kind of very close interactions with the, those first few brands. But you never know, do you, until you, you actually start on that journey that it's going to work. Oh, that's right. I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of assumptions. You sit in a room and, you, and all those latent variables that, you're, uh, that, that you've somehow justified in your own mind um, <laughs> as accurate and true. Uh, on a whiteboard, but yeah, when, you, when you get it into real life. That's right. You know, the, the, the real world is a little bit more... Uh, more complex and, and nuanced. Uh, fortunately, though, we, we found value in what we were, we were solving, and mm. um, that really triggered the the start of the journey. Which, you know, ultimately, we've been a business that has always been customer driven. Um, yes, you know, there's this concept of product led or sales led. I like to think that we're a customer led business. Um, we build product for our customers um, to deliver them value, and if you do that, a lot of the other things that you need to do in order to build a, a, a good foundational business, you know, they tend to take care of themselves. Yeah. So what were the early priorities for you, Alex, when you started building out the idea and the team? I mean, look, there's, a, there's ultimately a, a few ways you can, you can approach building a business. If you look at a software business, the, the path is fairly well trodden. The, the general tactic that you normally want to take is to uh, over-invest in the early and middle stages of your business um, to attain hyper growth. Now, the only way that you can really do that is to build a, a business that can get access to external funding. So it's a key part of our growth strategy in that we don't want to just take the organic path. We want to force growth through um, external investment into the business. Now, what mm-hmm. that translated to was the tactics that we employed in the early days um, aligning up to the relatively predictable and you know well-known uh, metrics and traits that investors look for in businesses. So, if, if I look at the tactics that we were deploying, you know one of the most important thing is not to go too deep into an R and D hole. Ultimately, you're going to rebuild the platform probably once or twice or three times, depending on uh, on how right you are in those first few interactions. So, mm. the first product you build probably not going to be around for that long. What is important though is the revenue. You know, get those customers yes. in. Get yes. uh, make sure that um, you're you're not spending a, a significant amount of cash to to get uh, to get those first few customers in. And and secondly, make sure that when you do 
get a customer to sign up that you make them successful you make them love your product you make them love your team uh and effectively become advocates for you because that'll lead to your you know another two three four five six seven eight nine ten customers so you mentioned funding alex how did you go about funding the venture in the very early days funding's an, an interesting path right the ultimately there's there's two ways to get you know, cash into a business. Um, the best way is when you sell your product. What of are you course. doing funding? Yeah. Well, you're, se- you're selling a part of your business. That, that's ultimately what what, what you're doing. Um, now, in the early days, if, if I look at you know, how do I sell my product, how do I sell my business, it's conceptually under the same basis. Uh, what you're trying to do is take people on the journey um, to understand the value, to reiterate the value and get them to understand not only your vision from a product perspective, but also your vision from a business perspective. Now, in order to get someone to believe um, your product vision, you need to show them the product. Uh, In order for someone to believe your business vision, unfortunately, you can't just show them your vision. You need to build a relationship that's based on trust in order for someone to really know who you are, um, how you operate, and, and effectively what you care about from both the moral perspective and also, a, you know, a, a, your own personal goals. Mm. Um, and that was the tactic that really we really deployed when it came to, to funding. We, we weren't looking to, you know, go into pitch competitions or to just randomly send um, our pitch decks to... Emails to VCs. Like, that, that's right. We, we, we look to form a smaller number of deep relationships with those VCs well before we actually wanted to take capital from them. So if I look at the first VC-based investment that our business took in, it was through a, a local VC um, called Equity Venture Partners. Um, and the way that we got to meet them was through another founder. Um, and it's uh, it was fortuitous that we had people that we had done business with and we got connected to that um, had been invested by the, that, that fund. And um, we, we looked to build a relationship. We did, did build a relationship. It was, we were really clear that we weren't looking for money um, right now. We may in the future, um, but we wanted them to know us and know what we were planning on doing. Um, and then we wanted to show them us do it. So there's, there's no better story really for a VC to say, hey, we've got a business plan. Don't give us your money. Watch us execute this business plan. Watch the mm. results that we're going to get. I like it. And then when I we like do it. need to, to go and build capital because it's justified you know, to effectively bring on some dilution, uh, you're then presenting another business plan and they've already seen you execute on one. So they, they generally perceive it as a lower risk. That's a good strategy. Yeah, look, I mean, ultimately you, you want to be you want to be different, right? You, you, you can't, you, there's, there are so many uh, businesses that are out there, particularly in the early stage. You know, at our stage now, it's a bit different, right? We're very metric led and the, yes, the stage as, as you move on gives you access to a, a different pool of investors, but also the comparative competition uh, at a later stage business is less. Um, it's just a reality that it, there is a very low barrier to entry to create a business uh, in Australia today. Uh, and the way that software technologies and libraries are evolving, um, the cost to build a product is reducing every day. Um, so what that means is you're going to have lots of people uh, with lots of ideas who try and build on the, those ideas. And if they're all trying to get funding, how do you prove that you are the bet that they should make? And, you know, ultimately people make decisions on relationships. People want to 
buy things from people they like uh, instead of just selling them a feature or a or a metric or a story we wanted to sell ourselves and and yeah in the early days we were very effective at doing that mm. so let, let's get into what pendula actually does can you explain how the business works what do you do well there, there, there's really two aspects to our kind of product and, and what we, we take to market the the first thing and this is something that um, I've always been very passionate about is that we don't sell a product. We sell results. Um, whenever we go to our customers, if it is a, a telco or a utility or a, a, another software business or an insurance business, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, we're ultimately always trying to drive, um, one, a financial outcome. If someone is paying for our software, we want their return to be greater than what they're paying us of course. Justified in the first place. Yes. Ultimately, we're in business to make money. Uh, and we're not a compliance place, so uh, we're, we're not mitigating a fine. Um, so we've got, to, we've got to move the needle. Now, if, if I then look on the first real application of our product, it is broadly around retention. Reten- retention really is three, three ultimate me- mechanical goals that you're trying to retrie- achieve. You're trying to upsell your customers from the silver plan to the gold plan. You're trying to cross-sell them from the mobile plan to the MBN plan or whatever other product suite you would have. Uh, and you're trying to make sure that your customer sticks around. You want them to mm. renew. You want them to run that repeat buy. Now, really, if you step down to, well, how do you achieve that? And, and what have businesses done in the past? Now, if you go and speak to you know, CEOs of telcos or utility businesses and you ask them, why do your customers buy more of your product? Um, pay more for a more premium service, and why do they churn? The simple answer you'll get from them is it's not as simple as just one answer. There are so many factors that influence um, buyer behavior. There are so many um, internal things that you are influencing, but there's also things in the outside world that, that are influencing them. And ultimately, any decision around, if we just look at someone churning, um, any decision around churn is not made at the point that they churn. It's made many, many steps in the life cycle before because they've lost the value. They've, they've, they've forgotten about it. Yes. Now, how do you attack that from a product perspective? Well, ultimately what you're trying to do is figure out what are all the moments in a customer's life cycle that you know really define the truth points of is a customer realizing value in your product? Um, and if they are, would they be um, interested or, or um, swayed to, to effectively upgrade from one product to another or to buy another product. Um, and if they're not valuing your product, how do you reinforce the value so they don't ultimately churn two or three steps down the path? Now, what Pendula effectively does is, is two things. The first thing it does is it tries to figure out what those moments are. And that's really a workflow problem. Um, so what we're trying to do is um, connect into a business's um, deeper systems and we're very good at traversing multiple databases. So you might have your CRM, you might have your billing system, you might have your customer data platform, um, you might have your service platform, whatever it would be. Um, and within those systems, you're gonna contain all this information that is around, um, that, that will be focused around if a customer wants to buy more or if they're overusing a service or getting hit with charges, whatever it would be. And that's only half the picture. The other half of this picture is, what about the external world? And I always love the, the, the use case we have 
within some of the energy companies we work with who try and cross-sell solar to their customer base, they obviously can look at things like, does this customer have a large bill? Um, could they, could they um, save a lot of money? And obviously that justifies some level of value. But the external factors are um, pretty interesting, right? You know, do they own their house? Is it a house? Because if it's not a house and you're whacking solar panels on the side of an apartment building, it's probably not going <laughs> to work. That's right. Um, that's right. It's cold. It hasn't that. been raining. Exactly mm. right. Well, the weather side, right? So if it's raining right now and you offer someone solar, they're going to look up in the sky and they're probably not going to really understand the value yeah. as much. So Pendulum is looking to bring in all those data sources and create a customer experience um, that is two things. One is factoring in all those aspects, but then secondly, conversational. And this is something that's really unique to uh, when you're interacting with customers compared to when you're trying to acquire um, new ones. And that is the feedback loop, right? You know, we, we want to be able to listen to the customers and ask them questions. So if it's a really sunny day, and let's use that solar example again, you've just had a big bill a few days ago and we're reaching out and saying, Justin, you know, you had a big bill last time. Would you be interested in potentially looking at some solutions like solar to help you reduce your bill? We think it's going to add a lot of value. Mm. We then respond back saying, yes, that would be interesting to me. Uh, and then ultimately, depending on how you're responding, we can then provide you tailored offers yeah. to you. Now, the interesting thing is if you deploy those data tactics and those interaction tactics, you end up finding these you know, incredible performance metrics. I mean, we've seen uh, some, some of Australia's largest uh, energy businesses cross-sell telco services um, at a conversion rate of greater than 26%. Is that right? Um, which is just insane. When you think about um, traditional marketing campaigns, their conversion rates, you know, 5% is seen as good. Uh, we've seen that with some of the larger telcos within Australia as well, similar conversion rates. And it's consistent across our, our customer base. Would consumers know, Alex, if they've had any contact with Pendula at all? Uh, look, look, ultimately, you know, if I look at the, the number of people that we interact with over an annual basis, you know, you're probably talking that we, we are touching at least 60% of the Australian population, just given the amount of volume that goes through the platform now um, every year. Uh, yeah. Now it's a lot. It's it it a lot is. Of I mean, it's a lot of messages, right? It's a lot of interactions. It's a. It's a. It's um. It's really satisfying to see the platform being used um, with so much scale. Um, the consumer doesn't know, right? I mean, if if you're if you if you're a customer of an insurance company, the insurance company is the one interacting with you about their product yes. to do that. Yes. Now we're facilitating the interaction. We're facilitating uh, the. Uh, initiation and the the ultimate orchestration of any interaction that we have um but the customers don't know and, and frankly we don't want them to know we, we want um, the brand value to be maintained by the businesses that we're helping to retain their customers because i mean it's, it's kind of in what i just said they're, it's their customers they're not our customers the brand yes. is our customer they are just the gateway exactly right they, they know our customers know that we exist but we don't want their customers to know we exist I understand. So then what do you see is the pendular, I suppose, value proposition uh, for for your customers in the market segments? Look, I mean, really it comes down to we, we have a platform that is very specialised in interactions around those cross-sell, upsell and 
um, churn reduction use cases. Um, our value prop really is one that is covered on, on two axes. The first then is that data. We're very good at data. We're very good at um, not only uh, interacting within a business's data set, but also then blending that with external data um, on the mm. fly. Uh, and it's interesting. You have, there are lots of machine learning-based tools that are out there that can do similar things, but they do them as a step before the interaction takes place. And that's okay with things like real estate data that is relatively static. But when you bring in things like weather or traffic um, or sports results or whatever whatever live-based in you know influences are, are the are unknown decisions, yeah. by the time the interaction happens with those machine learning approaches, it's too late. We're real time, so we're figuring out this stuff on the fly. Uh, that's a really unique thing to to our platform. The other thing is is really then coupling that with the conversational based interactions that we're creating. Now there are other conversational tools out there, but if you power that in with all that those that that data, um, it creates this incredible incredible hyper personalization that that we really think separates us from the rest. So is that what has led to Pendula's success to date? Oh look, the the thing that's led to Pendula's success is a, is a good product, a good team, um, really supportive customers, uh, supportive investors. Uh, success is uh, is something that is only really enabled through people and the the key thing that i always come back to it doesn't matter um really what your product is ultimately it was built by people and they're the people that that should always um be the correlated party to our success um so yes we've got a we've got a wonderful product that performs but ultimately the thanks and the uh the, the thing that we want to double down on um, to continue to, to yield uh, success really is the people in our team and in our networks. What about the competitive landscape in which Pendula operates? Give us a sense, Alex, of, of what that looks like, both in Australia and potentially internationally. Look, I mean, the, you could broadly put Pendula in the category of the cloud communication world, which is vast. Mm-hmm. There is yep. a lot of, I mean, you know, everything from um, from API gateways like uh, Twilio's or, or MessageBird uh, to marketing automation tools like Salesforce's Marketing Cloud to um, call center operation tools like uh, like Natterbox or Ring Central. They all sit in this huge category that we sit within. It's a big bucket. It is a very big bucket. And frankly, if you were searching for um, a tool just to send messages for you, we are certainly not the solution for you. Um, If you're looking specifically to move the needle when it comes to those retention-based metrics, um, there's not a lot of competitors who are blending um, the data services, the integration layers or the iPasses with the communications and the workflow capabilities that really make Pendula what it is today. Um, conceptually, Pendula really is a is a compound of multiple tools when put yes. together makes it really unique. And as a result mm. from that, our competitors in the space um, normally aren't really perceived as a threat, but because one, they're solving different problems, most of them are acquisition focused, 
Um, and secondly, in order to compete with us, they would need to combine multiple tools. Now that also means if we are competing with them, we, and we get out of our lane of retention, um, you know, we are not the most suitable tool when it comes to just broadcasting volume, um, normally from a cost perspective. Um, Pendula drives really good success. And as a result, we, there is a premium that is associated to that, uh, to that value we deliver. What was um, the pandemic like for Pendula? Obviously, a lot of companies have had difficulty. Some thrived, some did not. I'm keen for you to share your experiences of, of what the COVID-19 shutdown was like on Pendula. Look, I mean, the, the, there was two things that, that really happened with, with the, the COVID shutdown. The, the first thing is our existing customer base, you know, their telcos, their utilities, their health services businesses, their um, education businesses, um, most of them were not affected by... Yeah, they got to keep going. Yeah. Exactly right. I mean, hey, everyone's locked in their homes. You'd hope all the utility businesses keep generating power. Otherwise, um, those, uh, those long lockdowns would, wouldn't have been nearly as uh, as pleasant without your TV working or uh, or your oven or your working. your heater, yes. <laughs> so, so as a result from that, we, we didn't see any really material difference to our um, to our churn, actually, to the contrary, we saw a lot of growth in our customer base because um, a lot of those businesses saw a lot of customer growth in their own mm. um, in their own book. And as I'm a not result, surprised. their interactions yeah. went up. Um, we certainly did see uh, a slight lengthening in deal cycles for for new businesses uh, for new business deals. Um, put really simply, the the value of getting in front of someone, getting in the same room to demonstrate the product to to really build that relationship and understand their problems, it's a lot harder over Zoom than it is when you're face-to-face. It is. Um, you're right. Now, it's certainly yeah. achievable, but the time that it takes in order to achieve the same thing just is longer. So, you know, we, we didn't really see any difference to our metrics, but it's certainly meant in order to uh, achieve the same um, the same performance that we were expecting before the pandemic, which maintained throughout, Um there, there was a need to, to work a little bit harder, but um, ultimately there wasn't much else to do. So uh, um, it, it kind of worked well for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, on um, in that vein, tell us about the expansion plans, your growth plans. You mentioned earlier what you launched uh, back in um, 2016, 2017 is vastly different to the Pendula of today. So maybe map out what the future holds for Pendula. I mean, look, there's, there's really two paths that we're, that we're starting to see a lot of uh, future growth in. The, the first is um, we're starting to see a bunch of other software businesses starting to realize the value of the Pendula platform and embedding it as a white label offering into their platform. Um, mm. A great example of that is um, ASX listed technology business ReadyTech. Um, they saw student retention as a massive... Uh, massive problem that their customers were wanting to solve and wanted to embed, Pendula, embed Pendula's offering into their offering. Uh, so huge scale obviously is achieved through that white label uh, lens. And, and we've got over six white label partners now that have embedded Pendula into their uh, tools. It's skinned in their branding. You can't even tell that uh, that it is Pendula, um, but delivering the same value that, that we've been able to deliver to our direct customers. So we're, we're getting pretty excited about the opportunity, the scale um, under that white label header. Um, 
there are now uh, some movements that are happening around expanding our um, addressable market. Recently, for instance, we launched uh, in Singapore, um, getting our first few feet on the ground there, mm-hmm. uh, trying to really build some traction um, outside of the Australian market. And, and you know, ultimately, our aspirations are to make this business um, as global as we possibly can. Um, so that there are things that we, we are looking at in the uh, near future and, and, mid- and midterm future. Alex Colvin, founder and CEO of Pendular, thank you very much for your time on the Unicorns today and all the very best in the years ahead. Thanks, Justin.